0: Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now, here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid.
1: Hello and welcome, everyone, to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. I love to be here each week with you, so thank you for tuning in. For those of you listening that do not know me or that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership Show with you. As a lifetime educator myself, and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight leadership. So many times, women assume they have to have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. Many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. For those women who are transformational leaders, they focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things in people supporting women in educational leadership. Now, as an educator for over 30 years in K-12 and higher ed, as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator, I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and radio show host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward, where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is an opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering, transformational leader. The key for many is to find a strong mentor to help guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. And so I've made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in leadership through mentorship. Today is the 10th episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm honored to have this opportunity to highlight another amazing woman from across the country, but it so happens that she is local to me. So our amazing guest today is Dr. Janet Williams. Vice President of the College of Health Services at William Carey University. She is a distinguished figure in nursing with an illustrious career spanning over four decades. Her unwavering commitment to nursing education and her advocacy for interdisciplinary healthcare care approaches have left an indelible mark on the profession. As a dean and professor at William Carey University, Dr. Williams continues to shape the future of nursing and healthcare. She embarked on her journey as a registered nurse and her passion for the field has only grown stronger. With more than 40 years of experience under her belt, she brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to her role as a nursing educator and leader. Her extensive hands-on experience as a nurse has equipped her with a deep understanding of the challenges and complexities that nurses face in the ever-evolving healthcare landscape. One of Dr. Williams' defining characteristics is her unwavering commitment to excellence in nursing education. She firmly believes that the quality of nursing education directly impacts the quality of patient care. Under her leadership, the nursing programs at William Carey University have flourished and other programs as well, I might add, earning recognition for their high standards and innovative curriculum. Welcome to the show, Dr. Williams. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm doing very well. Great. Well, today we are going to make sure that we focus on things like mentorship the state of healthcare today and various opportunities and some of the unique opportunities that William Carey University has to share and offer to many individuals out in the the workforce or in the healthcare workforce. So first can you share with us your personal journey and how you became a leader in your field? <laughs>
2: i think like most of us it was uh to a large extent an accident <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> i've heard that before on the show <laughs> you fall into things but um uh, we sometimes we uh several of my cohorts and i laugh and say you know at, as i finished a degree i would say nope not ever gonna to teach never going to do that never going to do that and of course you end up going that route and and you never you make sure you don't close doors but that's uh it it was uh, it's been a lovely journey and it's been one I've been thrilled to be on. As I said, I was a I was a nurse. Um, I went to I was a lifelong learner. I went to school. I have degrees in multiple uh, disciplines because I just kept going back to school. Uh, um, my family says that I'm just uh, stubborn enough. I didn't want anybody to know something I didn't know. You know, so <laughs> I, I just kept going back and getting another degree. But um, it, it's really a, a, a scenario of accepting opportunities as they arise. It, you know, you just have to be willing to to step forward and 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 say, I can do that. And that sometimes the hardest part of it is is not letting your your self doubt step in there and and keep you from saying, I can do that.
1: I love that. You talk about a couple things right there. It's one, you're a lifelong learner. And I think some of us, I I feel that I'm a lifelong learner as well. And like you, I didn't plan on going into education, even though my mom was an educator, uh, you know, all, all throughout my childhood, I was going to be an athletic trainer, which was working with the sports medicine side of the athletes. And I kind of fell into the education piece because of an open door. Yeah. that came about and then i loved it i absolutely loved it so you know you talk about accepting opportunities as they arise and that's one of the things that i think so many people have challenges with is they see an opportunity but they want to know is this what i'm supposed to do they want that self assurance they want that confidence they want somebody to say yes go do this but really you have to be able to do that yourself you were talking about the self doubt you know how how can we overcome some of that self doubt
2: well i think you know um i think probably the largest part of it is to accept that everyone has it that everyone has self doubt it's always present as much as you look at people from the outside and think oh my gosh they're so confident they're so this they're so that in truth there are none of us uh that don't have self doubt so you you accept it, you move forward. I've read once, I'm a big uh, person. I love quotes. I'm a big quote person. Me too. <laughs> and uh, I read something one time that said, um, uh, having courage is, is not the absence of being afraid. Having courage is being afraid and moving forward anyway. And I right. think that's true of accepting opportunities is, at the it's not only accepting going forward saying I can do this, but accepting that if you find that you can't, acknowledging that and move forward in a different direction. You know, it's just a scenario of saying, OK, if I can't do it, then I will accept that and I will change and I will move forward in a different direction.
1: Well, and that's kind of the key, isn't it? Because how do we know how to learn and grow unless we have come up to resistance or a barrier or have experienced failure? That's right. And take a risk. That's right. Take a risk. And, And that's what so many people are talking about is that they want to stay in their comfort zone. They want to stay where they know that they have the answer. They know that their day is the same. And, you know, for me, that gets boring, but (laughs) for others, that's comfortable. Yeah. But it's why not take one step out of that comfort zone? That first step is going to take you through fear. But that second step, once you overcome that fear, is going to take you to growth. That's right. That's right. So oh, I love that. So if you find that you can't, that's okay. What's the lesson you're going to learn? That's right. So, for you in nursing education, what is the biggest challenge that you faced?
2: Well, um, I think
1: that that I
2: tend to be um I, I, I tend to be ready to jump out there you know uh, again, is there a need for this? well, then let's let's fill it let's let's jump out there. let's fill the needs, let's look for the needs of uh, those kinds of things. And until uh, I heard what you said in the introduction when you said you don't have to have the title to be a leader. Mm-hmm. and I, I agree with that a hundred percent. But until I got the title high enough that I could be the one to say, "Okay, let's do this, probably the biggest challenge I had was convincing people to 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 do to do the make the changes, do the new things, all of those kinds of things. And that was really not such a bad thing for me to have those challenges. In that, I had to learn to be able to put rational thoughts together and to say um, w- what the benefit's going to be and and weigh the the uh, negative against the positive, all those kinds of things. It made me be more um, focused on on convincing people, and that 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 made, that was a big change rather than me just jumping in the water. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that was very helpful to me, but it was, it was certainly something that I had to learn from and I had to accept as a learning experience. It was a barrier for me.
1: Well, and that's part of what we talk about now in typical communication, you know, classes and courses, you know, it's something we know now, but we had to learn it before is building, building those relationships, getting someone to know, like, and trust you. Um, making sure that uh, you become this person of influence because they understand that you have the background knowledge and you're not going to put do anything to put them in danger. No. So I mean all those things are things that we teach now in communication theory and you know practice, but we didn't always know that We didn't always right. know what worked and what That's didn't right. work. That's right. That's right. So I'm sorry, please. Well, you know, back when
2: um I had never worked as anything but a nurse. My first paycheck was as a nurse. I right. had never, you know, I'd never worked a side job. I'd never done any of that uh before I started nursing. And so at one point in my career, I said, I have got to learn how the how other people do things. I just because I was so insular. And um, so I worked for two years with a drug company as a pharmaceutical rep just to experience a different uh, a different way of doing things. And it was uh, it was a fascinating job, certainly a lovely it was lucrative. I, I miss education, I miss coming back. so I, I I changed back, but it was a good job. Uh, but one of the things that they they uh, that they taught us was when you want to convince someone of something, you you need to answer the question, what this means to you is. You know, what what mm-hmm. does this mean to you? So so if you can approach things from that viewpoint of how is this going to benefit you? What does this mean to you? Then you tend to be have a, a much more convincing argument. And I've always tried to remember that, uh, what the mm-hmm. benefits are to the person that I'm trying to convince of something.
1: That's right. So many times in communication, you are trying so hard to get your message across. Mm -hmm. that you're only thinking about what's the next thing you're going to say in a conversation. That's right. And how do you get your point across? But your focus here, and as it should be, is what does this conversation or what does this next action do to benefit the person I'm speaking with?
2: That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And I have found that to be one of the best ways to move forward with projects and things is to focus on that particular piece of it.
1: So how has that type of communication, focusing on others, seeing how you can serve others, how has that helped you define your type of effective leadership? Because I know that we kind of talked briefly and you're like, well, it might not be the standard thing that folks are thinking, (laughs) But, (laughs) but, but how would you define effective leadership? And of course, Healthcare and healthcare education is a little bit different than traditional education. You know, if you're going for a psychology degree, if you're going for a business degree. When you're talking healthcare, you're talking life and death. Yeah. So the, there's a it's little bit of different. a difference. So so share with me your definition of effective leadership. <laughs> I think I think there are two or three things
2: that that I truly believe and have truly practiced. And that is, is is that the leader doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You have to gather a team that can meet the needs that you have for your whole team. And it you don't have to be the smartest one. What you have to do is to be able to use everyone else's uh, skills, brains, IQ. I always tell them, I need to add your IQ to mine for us to be effective. But... Uh, uh i think it you have to to understand that if you can bring people together as a group to get to accomplish a goal then you're using every brain in the room you know you're not just That's using right. yours you're using every experience in the room and not just yours and i think probably um i have found that to be most effective as far as creating a leadership team and the more you can bring people along and teach them then the more you're going to be able to bring that those skills to the team. And um, so I have always been uh, and I don't I certainly don't think I've always been the smartest person in the room either. But I've always felt like that. If I had a superpower, it was that I could build a team. I could bring a group together and we could accomplish a goal. We could keep, and, uh, you know, keep everyone on task, make sure that things get done as they're supposed to get done. Follow up is the is such a big key as well. But the big thing is, you know, and I've heard this for years, is that the best leaders are the ones that start preparing their uh, successor the day they start, they start getting their successor ready. Meaning that you build that person, you build up all your individuals, you help them with skills that they might have to develop uh, from the very beginning. And then, you know, if you need to move on to the next spot, people can envision uh, uh, someone else filling the spot you got. You'd be surprised how many people end up stuck in a role because the people that are over them can't imagine somebody else performing that role.
1: Yes, I have. I have seen that. I have been a part of that. Um, that, That is so true. So I love what you said to prepare your successor from day one. Now you're talking about having a team of individuals and it's, it's amazing because there's so many other guests that I had that had similar experiences, they would say, uh, make sure that you have your tribe. And so it's just different words. And I had another one that used it as a pretend board of directors. So she said, I have a board of directors in my life. Because she she is an individual that worked um, remotely with a company, but she said, "I've got somebody I ask financial advice from, and educational advice from, and you know." But it's her pretend board of directors. So I love that you said, "Gather a team and use every brain in the room." So that's probably like exponential brain power. I mean, that would be (laughs) that would be amazing. So we have a couple minutes before our break, but let's go ahead and just share work life balance. How have you done in your in your life for work-life balance? <laughs> and I may have to have you stop here in a couple minutes, but let's go ahead and start talking about that. I, it, boy, I am not a good example for doing that. <laughs> well, uh, tell us I, what not to do. <laughs>
2: yeah, much more so not, what not to do. I, you know, I've I've always gone the workaholic route. And yep. uh, uh, it, that has been one of the major challenges. I had a little health issue back several years ago. And one of the things that I promised my family was, um i'm i'm going to stop trying to 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 work you know 16 hours a day and all of that that and it that has been a challenge for me and that was probably one of the hardest things and you know i'm not sure i'm not just as effective working 8 to 10 hours a day as i was when i was trying to work 16 hours a day
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's a uh, um uh, i would not have believed it back then <laughs> that right. i would still be but it it has really uh It really has kind of uh, pointed to me that I was, I was doing too many things that I didn't need to have to do myself, and I was right. And um, you know, I wrote an article on delegating that obviously I wasn't practicing what I preached. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that has been a real learning experience: is to try to create a work-life balance.
1: Well, and I think that that is a big challenge for most, especially women. And so we are going to talk briefly about work-life balance when we come back, as well as things like self-confidence and talking about team strategies and techniques for effective communication. And we will do all that in our next segment. So we will be back in about two minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
0: Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education spanning K through 12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on
1: your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast.
0: Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is Career Combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. All
1: right. We are back now with Dr. Williams of William Carey University, who is in the healthcare field. And we were just talking about work-life balance and how challenging it can be. You know, it's a great buzzword now, but um, it hasn't always been that way. And I'm like you, Dr. Williams, I'm a workaholic. You know, I enjoy working. I enjoy checking things off and sometimes, you know, writing things on a list and scratching them and and, and like you, I sometimes had a problem delegating things because I had a specific way I wanted to do them and get them done. That's right. But, but work-life balance, I think that women tend to take on so much more because there are some expectations that are lingering from the past. Yeah, I think you know, so too. Not only are you working, but you also have to take care of the family and you have to do you know all these other things plus what you want to do. Yeah. So work life balance can be a challenge. Do you see that as well specifically in healthcare that that I you're taking es- on so much? Yes. I do especially in healthcare. Part of it, you know, people that work in
2: healthcare uh, especially and I, I, you know I I know I'm a nurse so I know nurses well but I have many different fields that are in my department um uh, and so I'm seeing that they are pretty much the same way and part of it is that we t- we perfect professionally tend to be so goal oriented that we're going to do you know we don't focus on here are the task that that uh i'm going to do you know it's not a routine of these are the things i'm going to do in my eight hours and then i go home and it's done mm-hmm. it's very much we are very goal oriented and you do whatever it takes to achieve the goal now um, the other issue that I have is that, um, my president says that there's regular people time and then there's Janet Williams time and she <laughs> wants to do it fast. I'm always, I, I laugh and say, you know, I was a critical care nurse. If somebody had a problem, you jumped over the desk and helped them. You didn't form a committee. You right. Know? <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> and that's right. That, that's my approach to life. But, um, uh, uh, I, I, so I always wanted things done faster and faster and faster. And that was uh, that also created a bigger burden because I worked harder and harder and harder to achieve things much more quickly in in sometimes in in uh, even unrealistic time time frames. So I think part of it is, is that you accept that you can't get it done by tomorrow. And that's a that's a hard thing to accept when you know it needs to be done. But it's not realistic to get it done. And to create that balance, you have to be able to accept some of that.
1: Well, you've just said something very important is to accept that you cannot get it done. And that's the acceptance. And some of the things that you can't get done, you feel that it's life or death, but it's really not. Like in the hospital, it's probably life and death. But yes. in the office setting, in the educational setting, it's probably not life and death. That's right. It'll still be there tomorrow. It's still going to be there tomorrow. So just add it to the next list. That's right. So, That's right. so in your tenure, you know, we've talked about work-life balance. We've talked about kind of your path, that, w- that it was the unexpected path. Have you had a mentor in your life that has helped guide you? Or are you a mentor to others that help guide them through these processes? Well, you, you know,
2: I have probably, um, I probably am more of a mentor than I have been a mentee. Um, I've had some, some people that have been extraordinarily helpful as I've gone through, but to say I had one, one mentor, I can't say that I have, but. You probably had your I, tribe, your tribe of individuals. I've had a tribe, that's right. That's right. People that I learned different things from, but mm-hmm. um, I have tried very hard to be a mentor you know, when we started our PhD program that we have at, at Cary, one of the things that we do is at the end of the PhD program, there is a course in which they have to spend 40 hours with a mentor who can help them decide how they want to go, how they can use the degree, all of, what experiences are out there, all those kinds of things. And we do that deliberately. Um, to try to get them to understand that there are different pathways and different viewpoints, and um, that I, I, I try to take one of those every time I can and and have and and work with them. But I also when in you know when I was talking about my team earlier, one of the things that I do is I try to verbally explain why decisions are made. I never just say, this is the decision. I try to explain the rationale of how we've arrived at the decision. Um, You know, when I was a nurse, uh, when I was teaching nursing, I always said, if if you can find a nurse who is willing to explain every single thing that they do and every decision that they make and put a student nurse with them for a year, then you've got the best nurse you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. Because it's the rationale for why you're doing things that matter, that make you good at what you do. And so my belief is, is that when you make decisions, you don't just make the decision, but you explain the rationale so people can understand why you arrived at the decision that you ultimately made.
1: That, that is so powerful, is sharing the why. Because so many times decisions are made and everybody has their own idea of what's going on in their mind. And they might make assumptions as to why something was made and come to the wrong assumption and then That's share right. the wrong assumption. That's right. So as a leader, if you share the why, most people, although they might not agree, they would most likely understand. That's right. That's and right. The, and, and the piece about having a mentorship course, that is fantastic. That's the first that I've heard of it. I mean, it may be in other programs, but that is so amazing to make that as a part of a program for folks going out into the workforce because when you're in education and you're in a healthcare education where you have you know classes and you have structure and you have time frames and then you go into the workforce where you are at the mercy of your patients yeah for the most part within your time yes. frame that yes. is a huge transition yes and so, having that mentor, I, I can just see that as being such a great opportunity for these students. And I don't even know if they realize what a great opportunity that is until they get out there. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they might not. Yeah. They might go, "Oh, I've got to spend forty hours with somebody," but uh, yeah, they'll th- <laughs> they'll thank y'all later. <laughs> eventually, yeah, <laughs> eventually. So, as we talk about education, you know, share with me how education has changed, especially in healthcare you know we think about covid and you know we don't always like to talk about covid anymore but that really changed a lot of healthcare and practices and expectations and even the amount of those individuals willing to go into healthcare you know some of it it shunned away right. and it's others right. they wanted to jump in even quicker so it's right. you know share right. your thoughts there
2: Well, you know, my CFO asked me um, uh, not too long ago. He said, "Why are people not wanting to? Why do Why do we not have still have the same large numbers of people wanting to go into nursing as we did before?" And I said, uh, "He said, was it COVID?" And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. COVID COVID said what COVID did was people saw nursing as oh yeah I'm going to be a nurse." I said, and what COVID showed was nursing is hard. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it it proved that to the general public that nursing is hard. Nursing is not, I'm going to put on a pretty white dress and go to work and stand around all day and gossip with everybody. I mean, you know, the nursing is a very different, different job than that. And people started realizing that. And it changed uh, a lot of of thoughts about, do I want to be a nurse and live with that all of my life? You know, that's, mm-hmm. is that, is that what I want to do? One of the things that we're trying very hard to do is create different pathways into nursing. You know, it used to be back in the day, you got out of high school, you went to college or you went to whatever, wherever you went to, they even had diploma programs back then that were in the hospitals, but um, you went to college, you became a nurse, you worked as a nurse, you know, and and yada, yada, yada. And Mm -hmm. that's the way your life went. But now, what one of the things that we're trying to do, and this is probably a direct result from COVID, is to change the opportunities so that people can use some of the things we learned during COVID as far as online education, as far as hybrid education, and all of those kinds of things. We're trying to open up different pathways, one that we're opening up next week. Is uh, a second degree program, meaning that if you already have a a degree in, and I hear this all the time, oh, I always wanted to be a nurse, you know, but I went into this instead or that instead, and I had, but I went ahead and got my degree in this or that, and and of course my response was always, well, you can still come back to nursing school, and their response is, I can't relocate. I can't, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. What are the barriers to doing that? And so we have started a new program to try to to that try to address all those barriers of how you can become a nurse if you have a degree already. It has a scholarship that goes with it. All of the, you know, we're we're trying to address those barriers. And the main reason is is we've got to find a different pathway to go into nursing if we're gonna if we're gonna effectively hit the nursing shortage, which is humongous right now. Um, I think the general public knows that more by uh, the closure of beds uh-huh. that, you know, hospitals all over are closing beds because they don't have enough nursing staff to take care of the patients in them. Um, small hospitals are just closing altogether. And that's, that's in, right. and, and I think that the general public understands that, but we have to increase the number of the pathways uh, uh-huh. for people to get into a nursing degree and, and and effectively wipe out those barriers. Nursing is a shortage, but I will tell you this: it's not just nursing. You know, nursing gets the publicity. The physician shortage got it, and and uh, we have a, a medical school as well at Cary. But the nursing shortage is is now the big watchword. But in truth, it's every member of the healthcare team you have respiratory therapy and you have x-ray and you have all of the all of the participants um are there shortages in all of those and so some of the things that we have to do is make sure that there's enough of those programs enough faculty available for those programs enough of those skills out there to be able to boost the whole team and not just doctors and not just nurses
1: well, and you've made some some really great points there is that, you know, we know that there's a nursing shortage. And of course, COVID shared that just because of the, the influx of patient need during that time. And so my stepdaughter is a nurse and she went through a program at a community college and, you know, she is a great nurse, has the most amazing bedside manner. But COVID really showed, you know, the nurses that were there because they had a passion to help patients and the nurses that were there because it was great pay And their journey was a little bit different. You know, nursing is amazing, but there are several different levels of nursing, which our listeners might not know. You know, there's entry level, there's the the one-year program, there's a two-year program, there's a four-year program. There's so many different things out there. That's right. And, And everybody's wondering, well, why can't we just, you know, increase our program size to create more nurses? And I had a conversation with somebody at um, a a college, somebody who happened to be a board member. And their question is, why can't we just make more nurses? Well, you have to have students in those programs for one, that qualify to be in that program so that they can be successful. You know, Not not everybody can go through that program because it is very rigorous. But two, you have to have the faculty in order to teach those programs. And there's certain requirements for that faculty. So, So share a little bit about nurse education and and kind of what what we what we need to do and what we hope to do and why it's such a challenge right yes. now why the, well, that's a big part of it
2: it's a, it is a big part of it you know we did um, when we made a choice we made we when we decided to start the phd program we made a choice between a nurse practitioner program and a phd program and um our masters had been in nurse in, our masters is in nurse education and administration and um so when we were deciding we said okay are, are we going into it because we want to compete or are we going into it because we want to add to the, the, the profession? And so we decided we wanted to go because we wanted to add to the profession. So we, when we started our Ph.D. program, we took the approach of why are there so few Ph.D.s and how can we fix that? And what are the barriers to it being correct and what and how can we how can we address those barriers and move forward? But we do a PhD in education administration because we have to have people out there who are specialists in teaching, in the right. theory of teaching, in the method of teaching, in doing accreditation, in doing all of those things. That's that. Those were the pieces that weren't there and available. And most, of, you know, we didn't start. We had there's not a program we have started at Carrie that somebody didn't walk up usually to me and say. Um, could y'all do this or that? And you know, my response is always sure, we can do that.
0: <laughs> sure, no but problem. um uh,
2: so we do and we do, but one of the reasons is is that one of the our mission is towards improving overall health care, and the only way you can do that is to make sure there is adequate faculty that have been prepared to be the best at what they do. Because it's not just a warm body situation, you're not just trying to get a warm body out there. If they don't have the skills, it's more, they're more they're more dangerous than they are helpful. So it's it's you have to have faculty members that are at their peak level to be able to produce graduates that are at their peak level.
1: And that is so true. You know, we, we hear about the shortage of nurse educators. And so we know that programs are getting more creative, as you mentioned, because people can't leave a job. They can't move. They can't do the traditional pathway of, let me sit in a class all day. So you all have really opened up some unique avenues and you're meeting the students where they are, Yes, which is huge. Yes, But at the same time, I also know, you know, from working in a college, versus someone in the workforce in healthcare that typically has a pretty good pay along with it, it's hard to convince some nurses to leave the field and come to be an educator because sometimes the, the pay is a lot different. Yeah. And so we have we have to think about that as well. You know, so yeah, some people are. Yeah, that's
2: true. And, and it is a it is a fact that nursing faculty have to be paid more than other yes. faculty in a university or anywhere. I mean, it's, yes. it's just a fact. It's just like I have a pharmacy program and a physical therapy program and both of them, they have to be paid more than a standard university faculty member because they can make so much more outside of the program and if the university recognizes that and will mm-hmm. maintain that quality and there are other benefits now there, right. there there are benefits to teaching that you don't have working in a hospital doing 12-hour shifts that's right but um that you and you certainly want to make sure people understand what those are you know two weeks at Christmas, a week at Thanksgiving,
1: you know, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of benefits that you don't get. That is so true. And then plus, you know, they still have the opportunity to work PRN and and get, get some extra money if they choose to work on their holidays and vacations. But we will continue talking about um, nursing, healthcare, educational opportunities when we come back in about two minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
0: Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
1: your world. Motivate, change,
0: succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I am Dr. Stephanie Dugan. We are talking today with Dr. Janet Williams from William Carey University, who is a large supporter of healthcare and is a nurse for over 40 years herself. So we've been talking about nursing, uh, the practice in the hospitals and the education it takes to become a nurse, along with nurse educators who are teaching our youth to become nurses. But now let's kind of, you know, bridge it a little bit. We were talking earlier that William Carey chose to do a PhD program rather than a nurse practitioner program. And so I've heard that there are some challenges with nurse practitioners finding jobs. So is that true? I mean, you being in the field, you might be able to shed some light on some of those challenges because why did we start with nurse practitioners in the first place? You know,
2: Well, nurse practitioners, the programs really initially started because we had such a shortage of physicians. And so we had to come up with something, especially for rural areas. We we had to come up with some way that people could get care when they were an hour and a half away from a hospital, uh, from a doctor's office, from that. And so nurse practitioners came into being that way. And then, as the as nurse practitioners, I mean, they're paid more. They have a, a little more independence. They're you know, the, the opportunities are there for them to have a, a, a greater, a higher level income. Um, and that uh, that became very popular. Unfortunately, at this point, we probably have a few more nurse practitioners than we need to have at the moment. Um, I don't say that that market will stay in, in that flux, but right at the moment, uh, they're having a little bit of a problem finding employment. Um, just because the market is, is such, that is probably the one nursing market in, in all of the different forms that, that nursing can come in that, is, that doesn't have a lot of job openings. It's, it's the only one that there's not really a shortage of nurse practitioners.
1: Well, and, and I have several friends that have completed nurse practitioner school, and that's exactly what they said. They said, you know, I can't find a job. Uh, if I want a job, I have to move and I don't want to move. Yeah. So, you know, it is very important to do your research yeah. and no matter what area of healthcare you're going into is to make sure you do your research. Because as you mentioned, we had a shortage of physicians and so nurse practitioner was the solution at the time, yes. but now that the physician population is now back to where it needs to be we have a little bit of an oversaturation. So thank you so much for clarifying that. And, and again, you just shared the why. Yeah, <laughs> you right. explained well, the why. <laughs> so as we talk about healthcare, and so you know, you do have the education eye and you do have the practice eye because of, of where you are and what you do. So how does confidence play in all of this, especially with healthcare, self-confidence for women, or even handling criticism?
2: You know, in truth, I think that is probably if I could go back and tell my younger self something, Mm -hmm. you know, if I could go back to when I was 20 or 18 or 16 even um, and tell myself something, it would be um, stop looking around and seeing how confident everybody else is and thinking you're less, you know, understand that confidence is internal and that even these people that are exhibiting a lot of confidence, they all have self-doubt. They all have weaknesses. They all have, all have issues. And acknowledge that and accept your own and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I am one who is like a dog with a bone. I'll gnaw on it forever. And, you know, I was I was driving to Jackson. I, I used to serve on the board of nursing and I was driving to Jackson one day and I passed uh, a a place that, that we'd had a party when I was in college. Okay. Now we're talking about when I was in getting my baccalaureate degree college. Mm-hmm. So it was 30 years, you know, and I was fussing at myself about something I had done. And I, and I, as I drive and as I'm driving up and I'm listening to myself in my head, I'm like, Janet, it's been 30 years. Let it go. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> enough. And that's, I think that's, that's a piece of it is that you have to accept that you're not always going to succeed. You're not always going to be the best. You're not. And that's all right, Mm -hmm. that you're still going to do great things in great areas. And if you didn't do so great this time, you know, pick your feet up and, and, um. Um. I won't tell you what normally I say about that, but you know, suck it up, Buttercup, and and do better next time. <laughs> you know,
1: That's right. Do better. So, so many people, you know, look at others for comparison, and unfortunately, with social media, it has just really exacerbated that situation. You know, you get to see at any time in your hand what others are doing, and you assume that what they're showing you is what they're actually experiencing, and then you compare yourself to it. I right. wonder why you're not there. And That's if they have it, right. that means you'll never have it, which isn't That's true. Right. You That's know, right. Mel Robbins is somebody that I listen to quite a bit. And, you know, she's colorful in the way that she speaks, but I love some of the things that she says. And she just talked about if you're in your car, you know, you have the windshield and you have the back window. The windshield is always bigger because you need to look forward. the The back window is in the past. You know, quit looking at out that area. That's right. Always look forward to see what's ahead. That's right. So when, have you ever had any setbacks or any challenges yourself? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. take that as a yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, okay, so how did you overcome? Is there, is there an example of one that you could share that, that might resonate with any of our listeners and how you were able to overcome that as a leader?
2: <laughs> you know, at one point in my career, and I certainly am not going to name names, but at one, at one point in my career, I had someone... I was, I was actually at, at William Carey and I had someone ask me, do you really think there's anything left for you to contribute to William Carey? Oh, and was, <laughs> yeah, harsh, right? right? Um, I have to admit, you know, I don't cry ever. I'm not a crier at all. And I went home and rocked in my rocking chair, you know, sobbing from that one because I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, how could that even even be something that came out of somebody someone's mouth? Well, since that point, you know, I became the associate dean of nursing, the dean of nursing, associate vice president of health sciences, and then vice president of health sciences, and have constructed a 75,000 square foot building and added um, four, four uh, master's, uh, no, uh, three master's degrees, uh, four PhD, four either practice doctorates or PhDs. Um, you know, five different majors, a sixth one is coming in occupational therapy. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I had le- things left to do. Had <laughs> a a lot of, yeah, I had a few things left to contribute. I didn't uh-huh. do any of that by myself, but I let. The charge. It wasn't. None of it ever is done by yourself. If you think you can do it by yourself, you're wrong, right there. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that, and the way that I faced that was, I went home, I sobbed about it a little while, and then I said, "Huh, yeah, I can do. I have left. I have things left. I'm not sure." It didn't make me better. That Mm -hmm. I was so determined, I was going to prove that person wrong, right. That it, I'm not sure it didn't make me better at what I do just by me being so hard headed and saying, oh, yes, I can, you know, (laughs) but I think that that's that that's part of it. You have to acknowledge, too, that people aren't always going to say things to you for your benefit, that it's not you. You know, you can't say, oh, well, they said that because they wanted to help me. No, that's Mm -hmm. not always true and you have to acknowledge that people aren't always going to be saying pollyanna things to make everything come up roses.
1: Well, and that's a very important point is is what I heard you say is that you take self-doubt and you can switch it around and now say watch me. <laughs>
2: That's right. That's right. Watch me. I can do this. Yeah. So
1: take it as a catalyst to prove them wrong. So you just talked about all the growth that has happened at William Carey, especially in healthcare, all the master's programs, the PhDs, the different options, new programs. So what are some of the current trends and developments? I mean, you just kind of highlighted them right there, but you know, just think about the growth that you all have had and all the outreach that you all have done. You know that's how you you and I that's met right. a couple that's of years right. ago. So, right. what are some of the current trends and developments that are going on right now?
2: Well, I think that that we have done a great deal of online hybrid, of uh, trying to figure out the best way to do that to make sure that that our um, let's let's give you an example. Our PhD, we have a PhD in um, uh, nursing and in higher education administration. And those those we those are national programs. We um uh our our PhD in nursing is ranked fifth in the nation. Um uh, it's number five in the nation. And the way we do it is we felt like that they still had to at least jump. So we have people flying from all over the, the nation twice a year for a weekend to come to class on Fridays and Saturdays twice a year to get that, that bonding experience. And mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, al- it's always interesting to see the different attitudes of them coming to Mississippi to get, a, a, you know, a really great education that we're thrilled to, to provide for them. But it helps bend up some stereotypes to have them come to Mississippi. And right. we are very pleased that that happens. So that's very important to us is um, that we use what's best for the student and what's going to be the learning. Use what we've learned use online as much as we can, What's take the education to the student as much as we can, but still demand that there is some of the other that also takes
1: place. Well, and we're coming to the close of the show shortly, but share with me, those that attend William Carey, um, is there a unique opportunity with the tuition, those that are out of state versus in state? Okay, so just... We do not have,
2: our our scholarships are available to everyone unless they're specified for Mississippi. Um, We have a new president and he has increased all of our scholarships by 40%. Undergraduate students get free textbooks. Um, we have done a great deal of that. The second degree program I was talking about earlier, it has a, a scholarship that can go up to 65% based on your GPA. And that's unheard of. No one else is mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, they mm-hmm. aren't, you don't scholarship second degree programs, but we are uh, because we felt like this program was so valuable to, in, to change up what people are coming into nursing. And we we provided uh, we provide the lectures online, and we take the clinicals to them. They still do in-person clinicals, but we hire adjuncts in their area to do it for them. It's a, uh, It's the best we can do. I mean, we couldn't figure out another way to do it any better than that.
1: So you all have really shifted the way that healthcare education is offered. And we love that. Now, unfortunately, we are just about out of time. So if people are interested in William Carey, where can they go to find information or to reach out to you?
2: Well, they can reach me at any time at jwilliams, at um, jwilliams at wmcarey, c-a-r-e-y dot e-d-u. Um, we, of course, have a website, uh, uh wmcarry.edu, but uh, they can they can hit me anytime. I, I'm uh, I'm answering a lot of emails.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Williams. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I wish we had another hour. But <laughs> for those of you that are listening, I would love to connect with you. So please go to the Voice America page and click on any of the links to the right on the empowerment page for empowering women in educational leadership. We are just about out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next week as I will be on site in Arizona with Education Forward Arizona. The following week, I have the twins from Texas, Allie and Andrea, who are empowering visionary leadership through lead, love, and legacy. So again, thanks for joining us. We hope that we have you next week at Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Don't forget about the time change this weekend, and we will see you then.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode.